0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you that these online resources are never meant to be a substitute for God's good plan for you to be present, Connected and serving in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you live in the West Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we encourage you to come check out one of our Sunday services. Now, as you prepare your heart to receive God's word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life.
1: It's good to be together, loved ones. It's good to be together. Now, this morning, we're going to be continuing our walk through the book of Genesis. As I told you last week, we're going to be slowing down intentionally uh, to zoom in on the origin story of humanity. Last week, we zoomed in just a bit on what it means to be a man. And this Friday, we had an amazing men's night, packed room, and continue to dive into what it means to be a man. Uh, Today, it's the ladies' turn. You ready, ladies? All right. Wow, you're ready. That's good. Today we're going to zoom in on what it means to be a woman. But what is a woman anyways? Apparently there's a lot of confusion in our culture surrounding this question. What is a woman? If not confusion, then straight up opposition. So much confusion and opposition that there was a guy named Matt Walsh who felt like he needed to create a whole documentary dedicated to answering the question of what is a woman. And what his documentary revealed among many things is the rise of an ideology that has been strategically advancing uh, within Western society incrementally over time among so-called medical experts and uh, institutions of higher learning and more overtly than ever before throughout the mainstream media and permeating the most powerful corporations of Western society. And I just want to be very clear, the ideology that's permeating Western society and Western culture is a demonic ideology. It's an ideology that echoes the voice of the serpent. It's an ideology that deceives the masses and lures in the vulnerable and the broken and the lost into believing that you can be like God. You can override what the omnipotent God has programmed into humanity. You can erase what the wise God has written into the hearts of humanity. You can decide against what the sovereign God has decreed over all humanity. And all of this has left pediatricians and politicians and professors baffled and unable to answer the simple question, what is a woman? Well, this morning, uh, we won't leave here uh, baffled. You may not leave here liking everything that I've said, but I've worked hard so that you don't leave here confused about what I've said. I'm praying, in fact, that we leave here rejoicing and celebrating and filled with hope about what God has done in creating us male and female. So we need to pick up our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I want you all to pick up a copy of God's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 2. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, you can put up your hand, and one of our ushers would love to put a copy of God's Word into your hands. Every eye on a copy of God's Word is our desire. If you don't own a Bible, that Bible will be our gift to you. We'd love you to take it home and read it and have your life changed by the Word of God. Genesis chapter 2. Verses 18 to 23, last week, what is a man? This week, what is a woman? Next week, uh, the significance of the institution of marriage, all in this section, uh, the origin story of humanity, Genesis chapter 2, 18 to 23. This is what the Word of God says, starting from verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens and the beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So God, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman. and Brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones. Flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. All right, zooming in on the origin story of humanity and answering this question, what is a woman? Let's get started with this. A biblical woman is, point number one is this, a biblical woman is an indispensable helper. An indispensable helper. And right away, we're going to begin breaking down what this means according to the scriptures. So again, on the screen, the biblical woman helps in an indispensable way we're going to see it right from our text is this as an equal and submissive complement to the man so the biblical woman is an indispensable helper and she helps in an indispensable way as an equal and submissive complement to the man i want you to look at verse 18 and verse 20 it says then the lord god said it is not good that the man should be alone here it is i will make him What? A helper fit for him. Verse 20. The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. Watch this. But for Adam, there was not found what? A helper fit for him. So, by way of review, last week we saw that God had placed Adam in the garden and he had established him as the head, he had established him as leader in the garden. And this was seen very clearly in our text by the fact that Adam is found naming uh, the animals. We saw last week, remember, that the naming of the animals was a sign of authority. That would have been recognized in the culture of the ancient Near East. And we saw that as the animals were being named and as they were being paraded before Adam, Adam is looking, Adam is naming, Adam is Organizing, but Adam is coming up short in a sense because the text tells us that among the livestock and the birds and the beasts of the field, as he's looking at all that God has created and naming all that God has created, the Bible tells us that there was not found what? A helper that was fit for him. And so God steps in to provide. For the need. So, right away, we see that the woman was created as the solution to Adam's problem with a very special role to help man accomplish the purposes of God in a way that he could not accomplish apart from her. Now, that's something you need to understand that the woman was given to man as his helper, as his complement as the solution to his being alone to help him accomplish something that he could not accomplish apart from her in the original hebrew the phrase a helper fit for him it literally means a helper opposite him or a help corresponding to him last week we saw that there are at least two important things in view here that we need to reiterate first We need to remember that a helper fit for him carries the idea of absolute equality. Absolute equality. The woman is fit for him. It means in one sense that she will be like him in essence and personhood. The woman is his counterpart. She is his equal. But secondly, and by way of review, there's something else very important in view here, and it's this that while the woman is created 100% equal to the man in essence and personhood, this is established in Genesis 1.27, equally created in the image of God, that the woman is not created the same as the man in function and role. She's equal to him. She is his counterpart, but she is given to him as his complement. Counterpart and complement. So the question we need to answer then is this. What exactly is the woman designed to help the man with as his equal counterpart and unique complement? And what exactly is the woman's role in this relationship of complementarity? On the screen for you, Genesis 1.28 shows us that the woman was designed to help the man with a very specific task. What was the task? Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth with image bearers. Fill the earth with people who will image God and glorify God. Fill the earth with people who will glorify God. So God creates the man from the dust of the earth. He connects him to the ground that he is called to work. And Adam God puts Adam in the garden and gives him leadership in the garden, naming the animals, exercising his rule. And when nothing in creation was found to be a suitable help for him, God created the woman for the task of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it. This is what Adam needs help with, to fill the earth with image bearers. And this is what the man and woman were designed to accomplish together within a relationship of complementarity. A woman as an indispensable helper to the man, and she helps as the man's equal and submissive complement. All of those words I've chosen carefully, they're important. Equal and submissive and complement. Let's keep digging in. The role of women in this relationship of complementarity is seen in at least uh, two ways. Firstly, we see the role of women as equal and submissive complement in the way that God has created them. A man is made from the ground, and the woman is made from the man. Listen carefully here. This demonstrates the man's primary role of working the ground from which he came, and the woman's primary role of helping the man from which she came. Secondly, we see the role of women as equal and submissive complement in the fundamental distinction that God builds into them as male and female. Because the task to be fruitful and multiply apart from their distinct design and function is impossible. Without maleness and without femaleness, it is an impossibility to fulfill God's purpose of being fruitful and multiply. That means that both men and women are indispensable because of their very biology, and they fit together, perfectly suited to accomplish God's purposes. Now, some of you may be sitting here thinking, I understand the complementary roles thing, but I don't quite understand the submissive Why is a woman's yielding to male leadership required for complementarity? Ever thought about that? You say, I get that the woman is a complement to the man. I'm good with that. They're equal. They're not the same. That makes sense. Just look at a man's body. Look at a woman's body. I, I get that. But I don't understand why a leadership submission dynamic. Well, the answer is very simple. The relationship of complementarity between a man and a woman that is marked by leadership and submission, listen, is the way God reflects his image through humanity. Why? Why? Because God himself is a trinity of complementarity. One God, three persons, equal in essence, and distinct in function and role. Why leadership and submission between men and women? Because God has created man and woman to image him to all the world. And the way man and woman image God is by expressing this relationship of complementarity that is marked by leadership and submission, authority and submission, that is bound up within the very Godhead, the Trinity. so leadership and submission roles of men and women biblical manhood and womanhood it's not about us it's about god it's all about god this is what this is about this is how we know Precious women, that submission is not inferiority because God the Son, Jesus Christ, is not inferior in any way to God the Father when he does the will of God the Father in John 6, 38. This is how we know, precious women, that submission is not demeaning because God the Holy Spirit is not demeaned when he speaks not on his own authority, but on the authority of God the Father, John 16, 13. And this week it dawned on me in a profound way again that all of our difficulties in understanding the roles of men and women and all of our dissatisfaction in our pursuits of biblical manhood and womanhood is due to a fatal error in our theology. What is the fatal error in our theology? Here's the fatal error. We think that manhood and womanhood is ultimately about us. Nothing is ultimately about us. Everything is about God. And when you read the origin story of humanity, As we've been walking through the creation account in chapter one and entering chapter two, you can't look at all that's happening and say, That's about me. You look and you see a sovereign, transcendent, eternal creator who's doing everything for his glory and he's kind and he's gracious and he creates man and woman to image him throughout the world. And he does so. Why? Not so we can sit here and figure out how amazing we are. Not so that we can jockey for position and, and fight our way through. No, so that we can look to him and say, it's about you. You're amazing. You're awesome in your very being. That you are a trinity of complementarity is awesome. It's mind-blowing. That you created us in your image, that men image God and women image God and when men and women together image God in a very beautiful and profound way. So the biblical and liberating truth is this: as you approach any subject, but particularly in this divided culture that we live in, in this polarizing culture that we live in, as you approach the subject of manhood and womanhood, and we like to tag on that that um, label biblical. You know, we want to have biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, but all the while. We've lost sight of what it means to be truly biblical. When you approach these subjects, loved ones, you must approach it with a sense of awe and amazement at what God himself is doing, that the entire universe is not about us. It is about a God. And if you want to understand yourself, look at how God has made you and what creation of man and woman says about God and how we image God, all right? Let me just let me just add one note here. There may be a lot of questions concerning what submission uh, really is and what it looks like practically. For sure there are. There are thousands of ways submission works itself out in the lives of women married and, and single. I don't have time to go through every practical example this morning. Uh, we're going to... Te- dive into it next week when we when we dig into marriage but what I want to say is this I want to say that submission uh, precious women is not uh, unconditional okay Where there are abuses, a woman is never required to follow blindly or into sin. this is important because there are women here for sure for sure. But there's not a woman here or you know of a woman who has endured some kind of abuse. They haven't lived in the context of loving male leadership. They've lived in the context of domineering male leadership. And, And maybe the word submission is hard for you to take because the picture you have in your mind of male leadership is one of domination and control. That's not the picture the Bible presents to us. But I need to say this to you, precious women, that submission is not unconditional. Where there are abuses and a deviation of God's design, a woman's submission is first and foremost to God, who loves and cherishes every single woman. We'll tackle this in more depth next week. So, the biblical woman helps in an indispensable way as an equal and submissive. Compliment just like Jesus. Secondly, the biblical woman helps in an indispensable way as an essential and strong support for the man. An essential and strong support for the man. Notice verse 18 again, Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit, notice, for him very interesting to note that the same word helper in the original hebrew is used to describe god 16 out of 19 times it appears in the old testament if you're sitting here and you're saying hey, women i i don't i don't want to be called a helper that sounds just less than it sounds demeaning you got to understand what the bible is saying within the role of the relationship of complementarity Helper is not in any way meant to be demeaning. And the way we know this is that the Bible describes God himself as our helper. Using this exact word that he uses to describe women, 16 out of 19 times that it's used, the same word that Moses used to describe woman is the word that the scriptures uses to describe the help and the strength that God is to us. The woman is not inferior because she is a helper. She is essential. And she is strong. We don't look at God as an inferior God when we read that he is our help in the scriptures, do we? Of course not. So forming a biblical worldview here, a woman is an essential and strong support to the man. I want you to notice also that God created the woman, notice, um, for the man. Not only to help, but to support him. I want you to see it in the Bible. Notice in verse 18 again. I will make him a helper fit for him. The woman was made for the man. Verse 22 tells us that upon forming the woman from the man, it's important to note that he brought the woman to the man. She was the essential support that he needed, the gift of God to help him and to support him. Now, This does not make women some kind of possession, that women were made for man. This doesn't make a woman a possession to be exploited. It's exactly the opposite. It makes women precious and to be valued. This is the biblical worldview. Women are precious and valuable. They are an indispensable helper, a complement to the man but also an essential and strong support for the man. On the screen for you is Bruce Watke, who wrote, Why does God determine that it is not good for Adam to be alone and then give him animals? Should he not have given the woman first? In fact, Adam must realize that it is not good to be alone. And rather than squandering his most precious gift on one who is unappreciative, God waits until Adam is prepared to appreciate the gift of the woman. The woman is a gift, an essential and strong support for the man. In the fall of 2012, Aileen and I packed up a small U-Haul, and we moved our little family to Chicago some of you knew us then. It was a crazy time. It was a formative time. We were moving to Chicago to train and prepare to plant a church here in Etobicoke. That's the church that you're a part of today. The church that was planted 10 years ago. Well, Josiah, our oldest, I have a picture of him at the time. You have that Noah picture of my my little guy. There's Josiah. That's him. That's in Chicago. That's kind of the front lawn of the 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 area that we were staying in, and and he was, what was he? He was three years old at the time. Abigail, our middle child, there's a picture of Abby. There's Abby in Chicago. She was uh, one. Um, And we went, and we were preparing to, to plant a church. And it was in Chicago that we found out that we were pregnant with our third, but it wasn't Silas who is our youngest. We had feelings of excitement. We had feelings of joy. We had feelings of uncertainty, not sure how we were going to plant a church with a small family and a baby uh, on the way, but we were thankful. And I can remember uh, very clearly we went to this unfamiliar hospital in Chicago. The whole place was unfamiliar to us. Uh, We were away from our family, of course, away from our friends. I remember being in the hospital with Aileen and our hearts were beating fast, waiting to hear the heartbeat of our uh, newest little. A member of our family, but uh, there in the hospital in Chicago, there was no uh, heartbeat. There was no heartbeat. And we had learned that we had lost what was going to be our third uh, child. The doctor said it's not viable, and he walked out and left us stunned. I have just that visual in my mind of that hospital in Chicago. It's, It's hard to put into words as you're uh, getting ready to plant a church, you just, just there's so much going on. You have a little family, and then the excitement of a little one on the way. It's hard to put in the words a sense of a sudden loss. Some of you have experienced that. I know, I've spoken with a lot of you. Some of you have experienced that sense of sudden loss. I. And in that moment of of sudden loss, in that moment of overwhelming grief, in that moment of despondency and loneliness, the feeling of wanting to pack up and go back home, in in the midst of all the pain and the loss of that moment, I had uh, one of the most tangible experiences of my wife as my essential and strong support. With tears uh, in her eyes, she never complained. She never asked me to quit so that we could go back home to see our families. She stood beside me. She supported me. She was believing in me. She was pressing on with me. We had a few months to go there. That wasn't an easy thing for her to do. Everything in her probably wanted to be in a familiar place with her family. And everything in me wanted that as well. But I found my wife to possess an unusual strength. In fact, I found my wife to possess an unusually essential strength, a strength that I have needed, that has supported me, a strength that I have not had in and of myself. Many times in my life where I've been tremendously lacking in strength, I have seen in the woman that is my wife, unusual, godly strength, even in the face of her own pain and difficulty. And I have many examples in my life of the gift that my wife is to me as a strong and essential support that fills me with strength that I don't have on my own. And I could take the rest of the sermon and give you example after example of how that plays out but I see God's design in making her. Precious women of Hope Church, the culture says to you, you are strong. You can do everything that a man can do. But the Bible says you are strong. You can do things that a man cannot do. You have an essential strength. You can be an essential support in a man, in a way that a man can never be for another man. And what feminism has done and what the LGBTQ agenda has done and what modern gender ideology has done is not only seek to eliminate every distinction between men and women, but it has replaced the grandeur of divine complementarity with what is small and insufficient. And it has replaced the pure joy of God's comprehensive design with the dissatisfaction of an idolatrous counterfeit. What is a woman? A woman is an indispensable helper, an equal and submissive complement to the man, an essential and strong support to the man. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what a woman is, according to the origin story of humanity. But there's one more thing. A biblical woman is not only an indispensable helper, but I want you to see this: that the biblical woman is an empowered a nurturer. An empowered a nurturer. To nurture means to care for and encourage the development and growth of another. The woman is an empowered nurturer. I want you to look at verses 21 to 23. The Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And the man said, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So there's a lot of things happening in these verses that we're going to expound on in more detail next week. But here's what I want you to notice in verse 23. I want you to notice that Adam essentially names the woman. He calls her woman. Essentially his female counterpart. I want you to know also that later in Genesis 3, Adam is going to give her the name Eve. He's going to name her Eve, which means mother of the living. In the Hebrew, it literally means to give life. That's her name. Now, her name is important. I believe it's an important clue in Genesis. Because her name points to her design. And it points to the magnitude of God's purpose for her. Eve means giver of life. That the woman, loved ones, is a giver of life. She is a nurturer of life. Every woman on the face of the earth has a beautifully designed body, carefully crafted by God to carry and nurture life. This is how God made you women. And understanding this is, I believe, a key to understanding how God has wired women in every way. And this, by the way, is very critical to a Christian worldview. Because we live in a culture today that wants to convince you that our bodies have no relation to our hearts or our feelings. Our culture wants to dismember the human wants to say, like, what you feel inside here has nothing to do with what you are physically. And essential to a biblical worldview is this, that God has created us in his image as whole persons, and what we are physically is intricately entwined with who we are in an intimate way. The physical body has much to say about who we are. And so I want you to listen to what Elizabeth Elliott once wrote to her daughter. She wrote this. It's on the screen for you. She wrote, yours is the body of a woman. What does it signify? Listen, ladies. Is there invisible meaning in its visible signs? The softness, the smoothness, the lighter, bone and muscle structure, the womb? Are they utterly unrelated to what you yourself are? Isn't your identity bound up with these material forms? And the answer to Elizabeth Elliot's rhetorical questions is this. No, a woman's body is not, not unrelated to what she herself Is And yes, a woman's identity is bound up with the material form of her body. And so, I need to say, I think the Bible teaches this, that while not every woman is a mother, understanding motherhood is essential in understanding biblical womanhood. Just like as we'll see next week, that while not everyone will be married, Understanding marriage is essential in understanding biblical manhood and womanhood. So women have been empowered by God to be nurturers. On the screen, notice what Mary Cassian wrote. "Sure, male-female differences are profound. A man's body is structured in such a way that he is the one who moves out and towards and has strength to give. A woman's body is structured in such a way that she is the one who welcomes, who draws in, and who has capacity to receive and nurture. Women have been empowered in a special and distinct way to nurture life, but not only physical life in the womb. But in a way that permeates every other aspect of her life and relationships in the most intimate and intense way. Just consider for a moment pregnancy. A brand new life is being formed inside the woman. She has been made this way, designed this way. Her physiology shows that she is nurturing a baby in the womb, that, that baby is being formed, and everything that the woman does and everything the woman eats and everything the woman drinks and everything the woman exposes herself to and everything the woman avoids and everywhere the woman goes, it's all within the context of her instinct to nurture that life. Let's consider parenthood. As children begin to grow, it's the woman who never seems to finish her coffee in the morning. I get home many days, and I open the microwave. I don't know if it's six or seven o'clock at night, and there's Aileen's mug. It's there. She put it in, tried to warm it up, but there she's doing something. She's nurturing. She's taking care of the family, right? I pull it out. I'm like, "Honey, your coffee. It's cold." But but that's that's her nurture. It's the woman who always seems to be the last to sit at the dinner table. It's the woman who's thinking about hats and gloves on a snowy day. It's the woman who's thinking about carrots and apples, not just chips and cookies. It's the woman who's been built by God to nurture life, to tend to life, to welcome and to receive life. Women have been empowered by God nurturers the origin story of humanity presents motherhood as a powerful picture of the essence of womanhood very very important to understand loved ones that motherhood is not the only or absolute expression of womanhood i want you to hear that it's not the only or absolute expression of womanhood i i understand that the subject of motherhood can be difficult for many women I understand that. I've looked at many of you and we've spoken about these things and I've shared with you our own experiences. It's a difficult subject for many because, for reasons known only to God, motherhood hasn't happened for many women yet. Very important for us as a church as we walk together and grieve realities like infertility together to be reminded. That a woman's worth is not, it's not in her ability to bear physical children. No, the Genesis account is quite clear. A woman's worth is in the fact that she has been created in the image of God. And as we walk together and grieve unfulfilled desires, we must be reminded that a woman's power to nurture is not limited to the physical realm. But it expands and permeates all the woman's life. And there are a myriad of ways women have been empowered by God to nurture the lives of others. On the screen for you, I want to put up a text from Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, I don't have time to expound it. That could be a whole sermon by itself, absolutely. But Titus 2 is full of truth for women concerning the role to nurture people around them in a variety of different ways. Titus 2, 3 to 5 says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So every woman has been designed by God to nurture. Here are a few ways. Women are empowered by God to nurture, to encourage, to care for other women by teaching them and training them. That's in Titus 2. That's your role, women, to teach and train other women. That's part of your design to nurture and care for and encourage. And women are empowered by God to care for their husbands and their children with a distinctly feminine and nurturing love. That's what Titus 2 tells us. Women, you've been empowered by God, designed by God to nurture your husbands and your children in a distinct way. Women are empowered by God to tend to their homes as their first priority, to model self-discipline, the tending of their own hearts and their own spiritual lives. It doesn't mean women are not allowed to work outside the home. That's another sermon for another day. But it does mean very clearly that a woman has been empowered by God to give her first attention to the home because of how she's designed as her nurturer to care and to encourage and to tend to. All these are the manifestation of God's design for women, to nurture, to care for, to tend to, to give life to others as pictured most vividly in motherhood, pictured most vividly in Eve, the mother of the living. And you know, loved ones, as I, I look around at our church, I look around at the wonderful women of our church, I see married women and I see single women. I see women with biological children and I see women with adopted children. Beautiful. I see women who have no children of their own and I see women desiring to have their own children, whether biological or adopted. And loved ones, I see all these Titus 2 attributes functioning within the God-given purpose of the precious women of our church. Oh, women, you are empowered by God for nurture in a way that no man can do. doesn't mean men cannot be nurturing, but it just means you have been distinctly designed and empowered by God to nurture in a distinctly feminine way. And this, you are a blessing to our lives. Women, you are a blessing to our lives. And maybe you're here today and you've been discouraged. I want to leave you uh, with this. As I read through the Genesis account, and I read commentary after commentary, it becomes very clear that you women have had a special place in the heart of God from the beginning. And if you're doubting whether that's really true, I want you to consider this that upon the entrance of sin into the world in Genesis 3, the sin that marred God's image in humanity, the sin that has interrupted and cursed our manhood and womanhood, I want you to consider this, that God has graciously made you. He made you to be a place for hope. Because it's in Genesis 3.15 that we find that it is through the offspring of the woman that hope will come to the earth. It's not through the toil of the man that hope will come to the earth. It's through the offspring of the woman that the woman will carry the hope of the world in a womb, namely Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, the conqueror of Satan's sin, and death. Hope, loved ones, came to the world in the womb of a woman, and one day that very hope will be fully realized in a new and better Eden, when all the image of God in us that has been marred will be fully restored. And our manhood and our womanhood fully restored. and The glory that God will receive fully optimized and maximized. I want to praise God today for his beautiful design of women. I want to praise God today for his redemption. And I want to praise God today because this is a sure hope that one day through the seed of the woman, this earth will be filled with the glory of God like the waters cover the seas. And all the things we struggle with and all of the pain we endure, and all the uniquely feminine pain that you face, and all the uniquely masculine pain that we face, all of it will be done away with. Because on that day, our God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And the dwelling of God will be with man. This is God's design in Genesis. This is God's design for women. So much more I can say. I have to start now.
0: For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.